Good morning. I'm Scott Weatherford. I'm the lead pastor here at First uh, Baptist Church in Wimberley. Yeah, it sounds good, doesn't it? Yeah. Now, I want to say this to you because I want you to hold this. And I want you to remember this. I, I intentionally call myself the lead pastor because Jesus Christ is the senior pastor of this church, and he always will be. And I don't say that as something that sounds tried or politically correct. I say that as a matter of submission. We live for King Jesus. We do not live for ourselves. Isn't that correct? So we submit ourselves to him, and he's entrusted me uh, over these next uh, years. I don't know how long, until uh, he comes or until he comes for me or till you get rid of me or whatever, that we're going to be together and we're going to serve God's purposes in our lifetime. I love that. It said that about King David in the book of Acts. He lived God's purposes in his lifetime, and then he died. And I, I'd like that to be said of me, that I lived all for Jesus, that I died. I hope you guys don't kill me. You might, but uh, that's okay, or you might want to. Uh, I'll remind you that murder is illegal in, our, in Texas. Of course, it's justifiable, but uh, anyway. But we're going to continue this series on the pursuit. Now, we're here at this day before our nation celebrates our, our anniversary, our, our celebration of freedom, July 4th. And yesterday was Canada Day. And uh, Canada, the Canadians, they celebrate uh, Canada Day on the 1st of July, and Ca Canada is 150 years old, and they celebrated it in a grand fashion, and I sent out tweets and congratulations to our Canadian friends. I, I reminded the Canadians while I was there that they merely signed a document that brought freedom to them. We bled the ground red that brought freedom to us. So, and they said I was a typical arrogant American, and I'll take that. I'll take that. Freedom is not free, and the price for liberty is the blood of the patriots, and the blood of the patriots was fueled by a desire to have a nation unified under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for And we have to remember the all, because all is all, y'all. It's not just a, a few of us, it's all of us that demand the justice and the liberty that our great nation has provided. Now, my topic today is living with betrayal. Have you ever been betrayed? Well, if you haven't, you will be. Betrayal is a part of life. In fact, most of the bitterness that comes out of your life, if you deal with a negative critical spirit, if you deal with complaints, and it, 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 is, it comes from betrayal. Betrayal is the mother of most of our negative behaviors and negative emotions. Some of you deal with betrayal externally by being caustic to others. Many of us deal with betrayal internally by being depressed by our circumstances. Now, I'm going to say a name for you guys, and let's see if it kind of brings back any thoughts. Some of you historians will appreciate this. Benedict Arnold. Benedict Arnold, known as the great betrayer of the United States. I don't know if you know the historicity of Benedict Arnold and his betrayal, but he was literally going to give over the, the fort at West Point to the British during the Revolutionary War. Now, for my family, the Revolutionary War is a pretty big deal because I had an ancestor who was a colonel in the Revolutionary War. His name was Colonel Joe Causey from my mother's side, the Causey family. In fact, as a gift for him serving in the Revolutionary War, he was given two sections of land in southwest Mississippi. At that time, that was the far edge of the frontier. Far edge of the frontier. So they said, hey, we appreciate you. Now we're going to give you some land in the middle of nowhere. And now, of course, southwest Mississippi is kind of in the 
not even in the heart of our country, and it's surely not in the great state of Texas. And that's where the great reward is found. Wouldn't you not agree, Texans? Yeah, that's true. I took some Canadians to the Alamo last week and told them the stories, and even the Canadians cry at the, at the sound of freedom that comes from the Alamo. So just, just saying, I, I wasn't born a Texan, but, but I converted. I, I converted. But Benedict Arnold is a name of betrayal and a name that echoes in our history. And we think about Benedict Arnold and we think, well, in fact, we have labeled people, you're a Benedict Arnold. And some of us who view that terminology not even know the history of it. And I'm going to give you the rest of the story of Benedict Arnold, why he became a Benedict Arnold and how he became one, and you'll see how it all fits together. But betrayal is a stinging thing. And we live with the sting of betrayal. And how in the world can we live face-to-face with God when we feel like we've been betrayed? Betrayed by a close friend, a family member. Betrayed by a a boss. Uh, I've been a pastor for 36 years and haven't always been the lead pastor. I've been another step. I felt betrayed by bosses, by pastors. When, When holy men betray you, that's a stinging betrayal, isn't it? You expect more from us pastors. Well, I want to say about me, keep your expectations low, okay? You'll be better off. But that's that betrayal, that stinging, when you're betrayed by a spouse. And some of you felt that sting of betrayal by a spouse, and you carry that baggage of betrayal with you into your next relationships. And actually, it says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, that root of bitterness has literally defiled many And you have a we-satch root in your heart that needs to be extracted. And maybe you've been betrayed by your children. There's probably no greater pain than having the fruit of your loins be the one who actually has betrayed you. I don't think I'm going to use the term fruit of your loins anymore because that really sounds creepy. But even though that's a a biblical term, I'll just edit that for the next service because they'll go, huh? So how can you live in the face-to-face with God when you've been betrayed? Well, let's look at the life of King David. And I want to tell you a story about King David. It's found in 1 Samuel chapter 18. Go ahead and take out your, your study guides. In your bulletin, I always provide for you a place to take notes. And it's also take the weekend with you. And it's extra material, extra readings for you and thoughts for you. Now, Wyatt talked about a couple of big things coming up, a family gathering on the 9th, And I believe, is there ice cream involved in that family gathering? There ought to be. I'm just saying as the new lead pastor, there ought to be ice cream. Don't you guys think there ought to be? The congregation has spoken, so (laughs) I I doubt I have any more clout than I once did. But anyway, that's that's my humble suggestion for ice cream. Uh, And then we start the 99 days of prayer on July the 16th. Now, I'm very excited about that. I wrote this material for you guys. How long ago, Wyatt? Three months ago? Two months ago? Yeah, when I was just the interim, I wrote this material for you to help you pray through the first 99 days. I didn't realize it was going to be my first 99 days. What we were gearing up for is a great movement of God this fall, and I wanted to get your hearts ready. And I'm really excited about sharing this material with you. And we're going to start with a prayer gathering on the 16th. Now, this is not a prayer meeting. Now, some of you say, I grew up going to prayer meeting, and I'd rather take a beating than go to a prayer meeting. But this is going to be an opportunity for us to engage intentionally in prayer 
And you don't want to miss that on the 16th. So that's coming up, 99 days of prayer and the prayer gathering on the 16th and going into, I am just so pumped up about what God has got for us uh, over the, the, the weeks and months and ahead. Uh, y'all, I will tell you, I've, I've already jumped into 2018 planning what we're going to do together as a family. How does that, that sound? Does that sound scary? Uh, but we really, really have this plan. And I believe one of the great things that this valley needs, this valley needs hope. This valley needs hope. And we're going to make 2018 the year of hope, to bring hope of Jesus Christ, who is the hope of the world, through his church, which his church is to partner with him to be the hope of the world, to the Wimberley Valley. But today we're going to talk about bitterness. And we're talking about betrayal. In this passage of Scripture, 1 Samuel chapter 18, you see David with an encounter with a guy named Dogay, an Edomite. Now, Dogay, an Edomite. Now, Dogay was, uh, I would say that he was a vile man. He was a partner with Saul. I'm just going to tell you the story. You can read it later. He was a partner of Saul. He was a guy that was an Edomite. In other words, he was not a Hebrew. He was from another tribe. Now, he was from the tribe of, of Idiom, and they were, uh, they were descendants of Ishmael from the, um, from the union of David, uh, excuse me, of Abraham and Hagar. He was the Idiomites. They were also known as red people. I'm not sure why that was, but he was from that tribe, and he was not a Hebrew. He did not love the Lord. He was uh, drawn together with Saul out of a military and a political arrangement for his own benefit, and he betrays David. David is on the run from Saul, and probably Dogay and David had fought together in the Philistine Wars. They were once comrades. He, Dogay was probably a mighty warrior like David was. In fact, David addresses him like that, and later in the psalm we're going to look at. And he betrays David. He tells Saul where David is and what David's men has done. And then Saul commits one of the many atrocities that Saul commits as a king. Anytime a leader commits an atrocity, they've lost their right to lead. Now, I've been to Rwanda. In fact, this week I was with my friend, my good friend, Eric Muyamanda, who is from Rwanda. Eric was a freedom fighter, a Rwandan or a Rwandan, as they call themselves, who came out of a refugee camp into Rwanda and defeated the evil government that murdered one million people in three months. And they left their corpses to decay all throughout the country. Now, Rwanda is about the size from here to San Antonio, up to Belton, out to West Texas a little bit, and over in East Texas, very small country. And there was, at that time, eight million people living in the country and a million of them were murdered. Can you imagine that? And Eric Munyamanda, who's a pastor now, who's over all of Africa, leading a resurgence of Africa, is a hero. And he full well knows about a mighty warrior, and he knows about betrayal. And when your leaders betray you, it's devastating to a country. And this is where David was with Doge. The Doge tells Saul where David is, and then he goes back and literally murders all of the priests of the Lord. All of the priests of the Lord. David feels the weight of that atrocity. 
David did struggles with this concept. The coulda, shoulda, wouldas. Do you ever struggle with that? Do you ever look back at the course of your life and you say, I could have done this, I should have done that, I would have done this. Have you ever driven away from a conflict and you said, I wish I'd have said? And then you spill out a, a perfect pontification of your inward thoughts and you, you well, I, is that just me? And David is dealing with the coulda, shoulda, wouldas. He's feeling the pressure of the atrocity committed by this guy. And you see him go face-to-face -face with God. And in this face-to-face -face encounter, he gives us the antidote. The antidote for dealing with betrayal. Y'all want to hear that? Well, let's pray. Father, thank you for what you're going to say to us this morning. And I pray, Father, as I always pray, that the words will be your words and not mine, and the thoughts will be customized for these people. That'll be what you need to say to them and this particular crowd that's gathered here or listening online, that you want to do something significant in our lives. Father, you know that as this week, as I've worked on this and prepared this, this has really carved a place in my heart. It caused me to remember and to recall and to, and, and Father, in a healthy way, deal with things, the hurts, the disappointments, the coulda, shoulda, wouldas of my past. And Father, I thank you that you are good. You're so good. You love me where I am, and you're so good. You're not going to leave me where I am. And so thank you for who you are and what you want to say to us, and I pray this in your strong name. Amen. Amen. Now, you got your notes out, and I want you to take those notes. Uh, this week... Uh, Wyatt and Melinda Pat, that's Wyatt's wife, and Tara, and I had the privilege of being at one of the greatest churches in North America this week. We were there with over, how many, Wyatt, 3,000 other leaders uh, gathered to hear that there's hope for the church, and uh, we were with Pastor Rick Warren out at Saddleback Church uh, and with some other uh, great, great leaders there. Wyatt stepped into my world, and he saw my world was very chaotic, <laughs> And, and I'm glad I'm stepping into his world, and together we're going to do a great thing for King Jesus. How's that sound? And so we had a great time together. So if you think I look tan today, it's not because I've been lounging on the beach in, in uh, Southern California. I've been standing on the hot patio in Southern California. And one of the opportunities Tara and I had is that Pastor Rick asked us to pray for other pastors. And it was so neat how... Pastors from Texas came to us. Now, we had one old boy from Oklahoma, but we'll help them anyway, okay? But <laughs> it, it just was amazing how God brought that together. We're looking forward to seeing how God extends that. Now, I want to say this to you, and I want to get this talk. In this world, we have two kinds of hospitals. We have hospitals that take care of people, and we have teaching hospitals that teach people how to take care of people while they're taking care of them, right? My prayer is that this church, First Baptist Church Wimberley, will become a teaching church. We will beat back the darkness and help people and bring them out of their losses in the marvelous light and see them become like Christ, and we will teach other churches how to do the same. Are you guys excited about that vision? That's five of you. That's really encouraging. Are you all excited about that vision? Yeah. That means you're probably going to see a lot of pastors coming in and out of here. And we have a lot of partnerships 
with other pastors and other churches and other leaders. And, um, and I want to say this other thing. We're Baptists. Did you guys know that? But these denominational labels we wear, when you go up, they fall off, and when you go down, they burn off. The only thing that matters is King Jesus. All right, so let me get in this talk, all right? I could go on and on. I'm a little bit excited. Let me read for you, and we're going to look at what David had to say in Psalm 52. Now, many of the Psalms of David are basically his prayers. We're picking up his prayer journal, his prayer journal. Uh, I wrote a book a, a few months back that's been published, and I gave it to a guy uh, this week while we were in California, a guy from Hawaii, and I gave it to him with mixed motives. I gave it to him, first of all, because he's a pastor and he wanted my book, but also gave it to him because I'm thinking he might need me to come to Hawaii and speak about my book. So <laughs> I gave it to him. He said this to me. He said, I am so glad you journaled all these years because it's very evident from your writings that you were journaling. And I thought, I didn't use any of my journals to write my book. But David used his journals to write the Psalms. I want you to listen to what he says. You call yourself a hero, do you? You boast about the crime of yours and you have, you have God, you, and you, you who have God's people. All day long you plot destruction. Your tongue cuts like a sharp razor. You're an expert at telling lies. You love evil more than good and lies more than truth. You love to say things that harm others. You, you liar. But God will strike you down once and for all. He will pull you out of your home and drag you away from the land of the living. The righteous will see it and they'll be amazed. They will laugh and say, look what has happened to this mighty warrior who did not trust in God. They trusted their wealth and said him grow more and more bold in their wickedness. It's David. That sounds like me. This is a guy after God's own heart who was writing in particular by Doge the Edomite who had betrayed him. And he is spilling out his heart to God. Now, I don't know about you, but this doesn't sound very spiritual to me. It sounds very raw. It sounds almost caustic. It almost sounds like my mama would say, Scott, you don't need to be talking like that. And, you know, many, many times in churchianity, I'm going to say Christianity, but churchianity, we want to play nice instead of deal with our raw emotions. But I want you to, I want you to write this down. God can handle any of your emotions, but he will not be ignored. He will not go away. Now, as I talk about betrayal, some of you feel betrayed by God. And you want to have this kind of conversation with God because you feel like he's letting you down. And somehow in your culture of Christianity, you feel like you cannot be expressive with God. God can handle it. But you better brace yourself for his response. Read the book of Job. He's honest about how he expects God to deal with this person. In fact, I think David is giving God some suggestions how to best deal with this person. Drag him out. Whoop him in the street. Let everyone know how he has betrayed. You know, when we are betrayed, we must deal with the honest, raw emotions that come our way. Now, emotions that are expressed can be motion, emotions that are repressed. 
Now, some of you say, well, I just need to dump this out. But sometimes when you dump it out on folks, all you do is leave messes in their lives. And David gives us the great way. To whom does David dump his emotions? To the one who can handle it, and that is to the Lord. I've heard people say, well, I just need to vent. Well, in your venting, what you've done is you just spewed your anger on me, and I do not have the ability to handle your anger. But I can spew it on God because God can handle my anger. My venting never needs to be at my wife. My venting needs to be done to my Lord. My venting should never be done to you. My venting should be done to my Lord. When my venting is spewed on you, it leaves you with the regurgitation of my negativity that drips off of you like a stinky slime. Did y'all get that word, Petra? But when I give it to Jesus, he can handle it. And David gives his emotion to God. It's a normal reaction to vent to God, but you cannot stay there. You cannot stay there. I know people that have been bitter for years and years and years and years, and they find themselves isolated and alone and trapped in their bitterness, and there is no freedom. You'll notice what David does in a a moment as we read on. But I want to say some things to you that hope that will resonate with you. Here's the first thought. People will hurt you. Right? People will hurt you. Now, there's people who hurt you innocently. They don't mean to hurt you. They just do. And, And sometimes you're easily wounded. Do you know anybody like that? They're easily offended. You say, well, I don't know anybody like that. It was probably you. (laughs) You And you say, well, I'm offended by that. (laughs) See, that was my point exactly. There's people who do that. They're just, they're accidental. It's an accidental wounding. When there's an accidental wounding, there ought to be an intentional confronting. Said, hey, did you know you kind of hurt my feelings here? Help me that. What I've discovered with me, well, my feelings are mostly hurt when I don't get my way. Are you diminished who I think I am? Like when Tara fails to call me most high exalted one, I get my feelings hurt. (laughs) Which, by the way, she has never called me that. Nor will she ever call me that, yeah. But it's that that wounding. And then some people are are careless. They're careless with their words. They're not self-aware. They don't think about how they come across or what they're saying. I remember Kayla, our daughter, was young I used to have a dictaphone. Why I don't have a dictaphone anymore. I used to have a dictaphone where I dictate thoughts and ideas and things into my dictaphone to give to my secretary who then dispersed it among our, our staff team. They hated my dictaphone because all I did was create work for them. In fact, one of them said, you don't work, you just create work. And, I had, and Kayla, our little girl, was playing with my dictaphone. And she was talking to it, playing back, talking to it. You know, it just got, we were driving to Florida and it just got annoying. And I say to her, Baby, sweetheart, little precious child of mine, could I have that dictaphone back from you? And so she gave it back to me, and Tara says, play that back. I said, what? Play that back, what you just said to her. 
I said, I was sweet. He said, play it back. I played it back. He says, give me that dick for drop so crazy. <laughs> Self-awareness. I will tell you this last thing. Some people just mean. They're just mean. You know what you do with mean people? Stay away from them. You say, well, what if I'm married to them? Why well, don't preach on that next week, okay? It, it's just, that's, that's hard, isn't it? What if you're married into the abuse? Some people you have to honor from a distance, don't you? In fact, if you're married into a bunch of mean folks, don't be going to the family reunion. You say, we can't make it, ever. I, I, I'm, I really mean that. Sometimes the healthiest place to be is a thousand miles away from your extended family because they're mean. I'm going to move on. <laughs> I think I just opened up something there. I want you to notice the pattern of betrayal here because there is a pattern in this. There's the plot of the mind. Doge plotted in his mind to leverage this event for his own gain. And then there's the lie of the tongue. There's the lie of the tongue. Now, many of our bitterness or betrayal comes from people who gossip. A gossip is one of the vilest sins in the church. Of course, we don't call it gossip. We call it prayer request. <laughs> our Christian sharing. And we cover up our gossip with these kind of ecclesiastical words. And it's the, the plot of the mind. If I share this, I get the opportunity to elevate myself to a place of knowledge, which elevates myself to an expert on this, which elevates myself to some kind of standing which I don't currently have. So I share this gossip to leverage this for my own glory and my own gain. It's the plot of the mind. And then there's the lie of the tongue. Instead of taking captive that thought, and we take captive thoughts by the use of Scripture, we let it go to our tongue and we lie, the lie of the tongue, and we spread the gossip. And that gossip kills many. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, he's given you the ability to shut up. Was that hurtful or helpful? I don't have to be a gossip. In fact, I can let every word that comes out of my mouth be for building up and not tearing down. Huh. I think Paul said that in Ephesians, didn't he? Chapter 4. Let every word that comes out of my mouth be for building up tearing down, and not tearing down. Think about how that will change us if we did that. Now, my mama, she's a southerner. I, I really never heard her say anything bad about anybody. And when people would just do bad things, she, she wouldn't say anything bad. She would say something good about them. And I, I didn't, even when you talked about the devil, she'd say, well, he does have a pretty red suit. I mean, <laughs> it's the devil. But my mother had learned the power of controlling the mind to control the tongue. The power of controlling the mind through the presence, prevailing presence of the Holy Spirit to control 
the top. Help me, Jesus. The pain of betrayal will allow Satan. This is something that's really just kind of eating on me this week. And I wrote this down, and, and I said, God, man, I don't know if I want to talk about this because this is personal. The pain of betrayal allows Satan to claim areas in my heart and in my life that were meant for God's glory. It allows Satan a foothold in my heart and my life. He claims territory in my heart. Now, Satan cannot possess me because I belong to Jesus. But he can aggravate me because I belong to Jesus. And how he aggravates me, he, he leverages times I've been betrayed and disappointed and hurt, and he claims areas of my heart. And I hold them kind of encapsulated in my heart and I forgive but at times that unforgiveness comes back are you with me and I can remember forgive and this week has been crazy because I've remembered stuff that's long been gone I've had dreams about stuff that's long been gone I had a dream this week that somebody in my past who betrayed me, I had a dream that I drug them out in the parking lot and whooped them like a dog. Y'all probably didn't know, know the pastor was dreaming like that. I was whooping this old boy. It felt good. You know, it was just a dream. It's not rooted in reality. I didn't feel like I had to need to confess it. Maybe I just did. I don't know. But you know what I discovered? There was a place in my heart that Satan claimed territory. And I don't want Satan to have any place in my heart. And I want to get rid of anger and bitterness and rage and malice. I want to get rid of betrayal. You know, if someone, how can they hurt me? I am crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live. Jesus Christ now lives in me. And the life I now live is by faith in the Son of God who who, who gave himself for me. I'm crucified. I'm a dead man. Dead men can't get their feelings hurt. I'm dead. But I have to remember my crucifixion. I have to remember my death. For I have been buried with Christ and resurrected to a new life. I don't want Satan to have any place in my heart. I've got to go back and reclaim the territory that bitterness and resentment and betrayal have brought into my heart and give it back to King Jesus. And I can't do it without the Holy Spirit's help. Are you with me? So I need to take an inventory. This, today we were driving up here, and of course, I find this ironic, we drive through purgatory to get here, and we're driving. (laughs) And then Tara and I start talking about this, and she starts reminding me of people who betrayed me. And finally I said, let's stop talking about this. I'm going to be a mess by the time we get up there. And, and the, the truth is, I want my heart back. And some of you have been hurt by the church. You want your heart back? The only King Jesus can give you heart back. Only through the work of the Holy Spirit can give you heart back. Now listen to me. You can reclaim the area of your, in your heart that Satan has stolen by bitterness and betrayal, and the emotions of that will come back, and you have to remember those are just emotions. 
and live in the freedom and the power of the Holy Spirit. I know I've taught on this before, but dead gumming, I need to teach on this a lot. Wouldn't you agree with that? We need to be reminded, and I want us to be a people that is pervasive in sweetness and in love, not held back by bitterness and resentment. Are you with me? That we're known as a congregation, as a family of love, and not as a congregation of bitterness. I had a pastor ask me today, he said, tell me about your new church. I said, well, they're sweet. For now. <laughs> and I'm praying that as we continue serving together, the longer we serve him, what is the line, Dan? Sweeter, Sweeter he grows, yeah. You had to wake up to answer that. Sorry, buddy. Didn't mean to interrupt your nap. Okay. <laughs> Betrayal, Dan, can lead to bitterness, so I'm sorry about that, okay? All right. And that messes up everything. Now listen to what happens with David. Is this helpful, you guys? Is this, this talk helping you? I know it's helping me, but let's, let's talk. So notice that David makes a right turn. He shift, he's a shifting of dependence. You see, dependence on God would lead to the deliverance by God. Dependence on God will lead to deliverance by God. I want you to remember that formula. Because that formula really works. Now listen to what David says. Now he says all these caustic things. And in verse 8, man, he switches. He says, but I, I'm an olive tree. Thriving in the house of God. I trust in God's unfailing love forever and ever. I will praise you forever and ever. Oh God, for what you have done, I will wait on your mercies in the presence of your people. David shifted his focus from his betrayal to the one who's liberated him. He made the right turn in his heart. Now he says, but I, I'm an olive tree. You're thinking, well, that doesn't sound very good. But I will tell you what an olive tree represented in the Hebrew culture. It represented economic prosperity. From the olive tree, they got olives. And from the olives, they got olive oil. And olive oil was then a fuel and a food. It was a place of economic prosperity. And when God says you're like an olive tree, he's, this is what he's saying. I have supplied everything you need economically and relationally and sustainability. I provide everything. David said, I'm an olive tree. I'm in the, I'm in the garden of God. And when David said this, all the readers of that tell you, wow, David just made a declaration of his permanence and his blessing. Do you know that olive trees can live over 2,000 years? I've seen olive trees in the Garden of Gethsemane that are allegedly been there since Jesus was there and still producing olives. So this olive tree explanation at David's shifting, it really leads to this thought. It's not what happens to us that matters. It's what happens in us that matters. And when I'm hurt from the outside, I shift to God on the inside. So I have to do what the writer of Hebrews said. I have to fix my eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of my faith. Do you know we become what we're focused upon? We become what we're focused upon. 
Tara had a birthday. She, uh, she turned 30. <laughs> she just looks 30. She, she had a birthday, and I bought her a beautiful mint chocolate cake. And it had mint chocolate Oreos. And those came right from the kitchen to Jesus, and they were all around the cake. It's a beautiful cake. And Tara loves mint chocolate. And we, this is a big old cake. We, we bought that for her birthday. And we came home yesterday from being gone in California, and there was over half of that cake. And, and I, I need to be like John the Baptist. Uh, Jesus must increase, and I must decrease. And you know what I did with that cake? I threw it away. Why? Because I don't want what I focus on to become what I can become. See, I'll be sitting in the house, and that cake will call to me. Hey, fat boy. I'm in the refrigerator here, and I'm ooey-gooey delicious. We become what we focus upon. Now, I say that kind of in a teasing way, but I want you to think about this. What you focus upon, focus, Fox, is what you become. I want to focus on Jesus so I can become like Jesus. David knew God would never betray him. Even though some of his psalms, he cries out to God and and he questions God, and it's okay to question God. God can handle your questions. It's okay to vent God because God can handle your venting. In fact, your venting should only go to God and not to anyone else. You see, David placed his hope in God and not circumstances of his life or the behaviors of other people. David placed his hope not in the circumstances of his life nor in the behaviors of other people. David placed his focus not on the circumstances of his life or the behaviors of other people. Let me say that again. David placed his focus on God. You cannot thrive in the house of the Lord with bitterness in your life. You've got to reclaim the area of your heart that bitterness and betrayal have stolen. How? The antidote to bitterness praise. It's praise. What? Notice David waits in public for God's mercies to be showed. Why? Because God wants to use your life as an example to others. Your dealing with your brokenness becomes a testimony of God's goodness. This week, this conference we were in, Pastor Rick said something I, I wrote down. I've, I've listened to him teach for 20-something years, and um, you know, I've heard about everything he has to say, but still writing stuff down because sometimes it's good to be reminded of what you've heard. Are you with me? And he said this. It, it, it's true. He said, no place in the New Testament, no place in the Bible does God tell us to share our faith. The Simeon went, whoo! But God does say, share your hope. Share your hope. And this is what I said. Share my hope 
so I can explain the source of my hope, which is my faith. So the genius of the end is to share my hope so I can share my faith. No one can dispute my hope. They could argue about my faith. They can't dispute my hope. May we become dispensers of hope publicly. So David praises God. I praise you. I praise you. You see, a godly perspective is this. Listen to this. this is what Paul said in Romans 12. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you're honorable. Do all you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For Scripture says, I will take revenge. I'll pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. And don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. That is radical. Don't conquer evil with more evil. Conquer evil with doing good. You see, our God is faithful. The biggest takeaway I got from the psalm and this passage and hopefully from this talk as I prepared is that God is faithful. I'm not. God is. Listen to these scriptures. And I've said some of them to you before, but I'm going to give you in context. Isaiah 49, 15. Can a mother forget the child nursing at her breast? Yes, she may forget, but I will not forget you. See, I've engraved you on the palms of my hands. You are always before me. Joshua 1, 9. Be strong and courageous, for I am with you wherever you go. Have I not told you? Be strong and courageous. Psalm 27, 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Of whom shall I be afraid? Psalm 138. I'm going to read the last part for you because I think that's the part that speaks to me. The Lord will work out his plans for my life. For your faithful love, O Lord, endures forever. Your faithful love endures for how long? Forever. Don't abandon me, for you have made me. I love that. God is never going to give up on you. God is never going to leave you. God is never going to betray you. Oh, Scott, you don't understand. I've been diagnosed with cancer. Cancer. God's not going to betray you. I want to say this to you. The worst thing that can happen to a Christian is that you die and you go to heaven. What are we scared of? Soon I'll be done with the troubles of this world, going home to live with God. The great spiritual says, what about this hurt? God says, I'm going to take that hurt. We'll take that hurt. We'll help you. I'm going to take that hurt. We'll take that mess, take that misery, make it a message and make it a ministry. I'm going to take that betrayal and we'll leverage it. I'll work in your heart and your life and your soul and I'm going to build you up that you might be a minister to someone else who's going through that betrayal. 
And, and I've spent, goodness, the last 20 years of my life working with pastors and listening to the hurt and betrayal and giving them hope because our God is faithful. Our God is faithful. There's been seasons of my life and our lives, Jeremiah's life, where we, we lost everything, but God is faithful. And he's a restorer. I remember the pain of that when I felt like it was a betrayal of God. God gave me the passage that he said, and God will, will recover what the locusts have eaten. And then he describes all the kind of locusts, the hopping locusts, the biting locusts, the chomping locusts, the flying locusts, the, you know, the Texas locusts. He describes all the locusts. And it bugs me that, that that's, there are that many locusts. There's lots, lots of locusts. And they all ate something. But God's going to restore. Kids who've wandered off, and God said, you know what? Raise a child the way he should go. He's old and not depart. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to restore. I'm going to restore. He's going to restore areas of my heart that have been betrayed because our God is faithful. The antidote to bitterness is praise. And praise leads to worship. And worship leads to surrender. Jesus, I'm yours. Do you know why Benedict Arnold was a Benedict Arnold? Because he was bitter. He betrayed the United States, selling secrets to the British to surrender West Point Fort because he had been overlooked by the Continental Congress for promotions. His betrayal was rooted in his bitterness. Here's the question. Do you want to live like Benedict Arnold? Or do you want to live like Jesus? I choose Jesus. How about you? I choose Jesus. Father, thank you for what you've said to us in your word this morning. And thank you that you can free us from the devastation of betrayal. And you can relieve us from the residuals of bitterness that we might live differently. And Lord, even as I gave this talk today, I realized how far I need to go with you to reclaim those areas of my heart that have been stolen by Satan. But today, Jesus, I'm going to ask you to help me. So, Jesus, I'm yours. And I ask you to help me. Help me be a man that's marked by your love and your grace and your forgiveness and your tenderness. And help me be a man that all of my heart is captivated by you and you alone. Father, I, I wish I could pray that for everyone in this room, but I can't. I can only pray that for me. But folks, with your heads bowed, maybe you need to pray that for you. Help me be a person, oh God, that is captivated by you. Captivated by you. For some of you, that means today you need to give your heart to Jesus. You need to trust him as Savior. If that's you, why don't you just simply whisper this to Jesus. Jesus, I'm yours. Forgive my sins. 
be my Savior. I accept you into my heart, into my life. Jesus, I'm yours. For some of you, you're looking at these areas of your life that have been captivated by bitterness. Just give them to Jesus right now. It might take time for that land to come back, that, that area, that territory to come back, but God is faithful. Give it to Jesus today. You might need to make a phone call and offer forgiveness. You might be, have been the one who betrayed, and there needs to be some confession. We, are you willing to do whatever it takes to live all for Jesus? Maybe you're here today, and you're looking for a church family. You're looking for a home for your heart. Well, why not here? where you can serve God together with these people. Father, you know we're not going to be normal. Father, you know we're not going to do things normally. We're going to live all for you. And we're going to let you reclaim the areas of our heart that we might be the hope of the world. Because you're the hope of the world. And we belong to you. Help us, Jesus, now to live and make decisions that shape eternity. And I pray this in your name. Amen.